I think that was power. <laughs> right, I'm all good again. Sorry, everything started to kind of shut down. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's all right. Right. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back. You've got me, Rich, and Henry. How you doing, sir? I'm very well, thanks, Rich. How are, how's life with you? I am good. Welcome back to the country. You only got back in yesterday, day before? Yeah, a couple of days ago, went to the continent, which was great. A little bit weird going through customs and having to fill in all these forms. And yeah, it's all a bit odd. Contact tracing and face masks and you name it. But it meant a trip away, so it was good fun. Did you get forehead temperatures apt in the airport? No, we had... So because we were going to Italy, they decided to totally over-engineer the whole process and they had proper huge temperature sensor machines like at both ends of the airport. Oh, really? And yeah, and they had ridiculously long forms that were paper. You had to print them out and then write in ink and all this stuff. It's like, who, who does that anymore? Who uses a paper form? But the Italians like... <laughs> exactly, so... We did all that and yeah, got to the destination, had a good time, swam around in a swimming pool and then uh, came home. Um, but yeah, it's Italy, it's pizza and pasta and sunshine, so what's not to like? So yeah, nice. very, very refreshed. Well, we missed you. Yeah. Although Pat did a great job standing in. Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet, but um, yes, I will go. I will be great. catching up. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun one. But anyway, you've brought us another noisy guitar band this week, haven't you? Yeah, I have not quite as noisy as The Offspring. Similar era, I guess, probably just slightly later. But they are probably one of my all-time favourites, or at least this album is probably one of my all-time favourite albums. Mm-hmm. It's right in my kind of top... Probably top five, just because of the when it happened. So, Band is Ash, album is 1977. The album hit just as I was kind of hitting kind of secondary school, and it was just perfectly timed. It was 96, wasn't it? Was it 96? Yeah, it was, 96. Yep, because Tim Wheeler was 19 years old when he released his first album, and it's a belter, what a bastard. It's incredible. So, so the bands, um, they're a three-piece. Tim Wheeler, Mark Hamilton, and Rick McMurray. And they started wanting to be in a band before they could play music. So they were at school, mm-hmm. they met at school, and they they all got guitars for Christmas in like 1989. And so they were like, yes, we can now form our band and start making music. They wrote Jack Names the Planet, which is a really good song, and it stands up when wheeler was 16 and right so when they're just literally kind of playing around in school these guys are making really quite impressive music they're from northern ireland and they started getting noticed literally still at school to the mm-hmm. point where they were being flown to los angeles to meet record companies and their friends didn't really know they kept it on the quiet so a couple of their friends knew about this, that they were actually really starting to get big. But they they still were kind of this this underground thing where the record companies were going, look, there's actually this trio from Northern Ireland who are absolutely smashing it and they're writing their own music. And yeah, watch watch out, world. They're, they're incoming. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I had a quick look on Wikipedia for the background and looked at Tim Wheeler being born in 1977 and Ash being formed in 1989 was like, what, when you were 12? Yes, yes, when you were 12. 
<laughs> yes, that's when they got their guitars. And and it's just mind-blowing because I was at school. I mean, they're only a few years older than me. And I was at school thinking, these guys are writing incredible music. And we, you compare that to the school bands mm-hmm. that were playing in our school. And there were some talented people there. But Ash were on another level if you look at the way that they, they made their music. So, yeah, they kind of came out of nowhere. And... I first heard them, they started putting out singles. So I think Kung Fu was one of them and Angel Interceptor, which were just kind of these early mm-hmm. singles. And they started appearing. I think John Peel picked them up. They were on an evening session. Yeah. And they, they toured with Elastica while they were still at school. Right. How cool is that? You're just like, oh, yeah, it's bank holiday weekend. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going camping. Oh, yeah, we're off to tour with Elastica. <laughs> it's like, these guys are crazy. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you listen to the lyrics and there's stuff in there that if they were fully grown adults would be a little bit creepy. So Girl from Mars talks about girl in her school uniform. You're like, this is not an adult man hitting on a schoolgirl. This is schoolboy, schoolgirl crushed because that's how old they were when they recorded it. Yeah, exactly. And so this is why it resonates with me so much because they were the band you play at school. Um, so Goldfinger, the first mm-hmm. big single that came out was the first single I bought. So that's right. my first and it's, it's a cracker. Mm-hmm. But also the album, 1977, someone had it on our school bus and... I can't remember who had it and who put it on, and there was always a bit of a fight for which which tape got played on the journey to school. But when it was Ash and I would get onto the bus and the tape would be playing, it was like, yes, it's going to be a good day because Ash is there. <laughs> and so right from square one, this album just kind of weaveled its way into my head. And it's it's brilliant. So 1977, the album was, uh, obviously it was the, as you said, the year that Tim Wheeler was born. Uh, I think one of the other members mm-hmm. was born in 77 as well. It was the year that the Buzzcocks released Nevermind the Bollocks, so they, they loved that. They were influenced mm-hmm. by the Buzzcocks, Nirvana, and also by the Beach Boys a bit later, which kind of explains their, their sound a bit. And obviously yeah. by Star Wars. Star Wars is a massive part of the album, so the album opens mm-hmm. with the, the, the TIE Fighter sound. So you yeah. lose control just as the track opens. You have this kind of of these TIE fighters going overhead (laughs) and that kicks the album off which is a wicked way to open it yeah and you sort of touch on the fact that they've got punk and American grunge as influences and that that's sort of a bit different to a lot of the music that was going on at that time because we're right in the middle of Britpop but they're not Britpop at all even though they got lumped into the Shine 5 Shine 7 albums I had which is where I came across them they hate that the association that they're a Britpop band they don't like it and I completely agree with them yeah they're not a Britpop but they're they're nothing to do with Britpop they're they're more American than English in their sound and they're sort of on that border between punk and American mainstream indie rock so if you think yeah. that I I'd say the American band that they're most like sound wise probably the Foo Fighters. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you, yeah, they they do have that sound. They you know big guitars, big hooks, yeah. loads of energy, great ability to write a slower song as well. Yeah, that makes sense. They started as a really a more of a metal band, and they wanted to go for that noisier edge, and mm-hmm. and then Wheeler said he listened to Pet Sounds. Mm-hmm. And that really caught him, and that kind of changed his musical direction a little bit. And you suddenly hear all these these harmonies and things. And so there is that kind of crossover. And I think that's what's great about them as well is the fact that I think I think I like this about a lot of big rock music that I like is that it has 
melodic sensibilities to it. There's there's an edge to it that's not just loud guitars. So you think about Nirvana and you think, yeah, there are full-on in-your-face grunge uh, band, but at the same time, there's still those melodies and those hooks that are in there that bring something more to the table than just noise. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's to do with the the production, which is incredible. Uh, Owen Morris was the producer, and he produced definitely maybe in What's a Story, Morning Glory for Oasis. So mm-hmm. he'd come from producing them, and then he was working with The Verb at the time, I think. Okay. So everything on Angel Interceptor, which is one of their earlier singles, is recorded on all The Verb's kit. Okay. And also with The Verb's kit, the drum kit from The Verb, I think the drums were owned by John Bonham. Okay. Um, obviously, Led Zeppelin. Wow. So Kung Fu from Ash, if you listen to the drums on that, those drums are John Bonham's drums. Nice. How cool is that? And again, these are like school kids, and they've toppled out of school. The yeah. drummer's playing the drums of probably the greatest drummer ever. And, I mean, what, what an amazing time to to, to be part of all, all of that, yeah. that craziness. And it is just a fantastic album. It's a, re- it's a really, really great album. We've already mentioned a number of tracks on there, but which which are the ones that really stand out for you? Um, so, obviously, Goldfinger mm-hmm. is, is the one that I like. And interestingly, Tim Wheeler didn't want to release it because he thought it was a bit slower and more different. But I think that's why they, they liked it so much. So... That's probably the the obvious one. Girl from Mars is the big old single, mm-hmm. which everyone knows. Apparently, Girl from Mars is now so famous, NASA used it as their um, on hold music. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're on hold at NASA, you get Girl from Mars for a little bit. So Brilliant. that's how big these guys got. And then things like Kung Fu as well. I'm I'm naming the greatest hits just because they're they're brilliant. I'm Kung Fu. Kung Fu is awesome, and that's a proper balls out, borderline metal track. I love Kung Fu and. It name-checks all of the Kung Fu films, and they name-check mm-hmm. Jackie Chan. Yeah. Jackie Chan used Kung Whoa. Fu. As the, in the, yeah, <laughs> and in the end credits of one of his films, like I think it was Rumble in the Bronx or whatever, Right. in that film, Jackie Chan said, can I use your music for it? I mean, again, these are like teenage kids sitting in their bedrooms looking at these films, and then suddenly the film stars are going, yeah, we want to use this. That's cool. Yeah, yeah it is cool. I want to bring up Gone the Dream, because I think it's a really, really lovely track. And it sort of does that really nice break up the full-on rock side of things to just slow everything down. But there's a load of strings in there and things like that that are just wonderful. Ah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's not... Well, I was going to say it's not typical Ash, but it kind of is. They do this stuff really, Mm -hmm. really well. So the strings in Gone the Dream are wonderful. And again, it's back to the, the production. Tim Wheeler did all of this, so... They were recording the album and Owen Morris was a bit of a nutcase. He liked to drink, he liked his drugs. He was giving the band drink and drugs and was <laughs> totally kind of, you know, they were teenagers and he was like, yeah, let's go, let's do the rock and roll thing. And they were totally just led on by him. But Wheeler has said actually it's, it was quite difficult because he was trying to just get shit-faced with the, with the band but also try to produce all this music. So... There was no one else. They they didn't bring in other writers. It was just him. Yeah. And when it came to the all of the surrounding music, it was Wheeler who said, "This is how the strings should sound," and they they put it all together. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm actually I'm really glad you mentioned that. It's not a it's not a big one. The the last track as well. Mm-hmm. Back to Star Wars. Dark yeah. side, light side is the name. Yeah. Obviously a Star Wars reference. And just as it kind of fades out, there's this choral part they've got this bunch of singers who 
mm-hmm. who sing this harmony. Apparently, they sing the Star Wars harmony. Now, I can't hear that. I, I love the song. I've heard it hundreds of times. And I just cannot place it. And I don't know whether I'm listening to the wrong part of a Star Wars track or... I, it can't be the main theme. It's definitely not the Imperial March. I can't work out where it comes from. All right. But allegedly, that's that's got some Star Wars influence as well. Mm. But as a whole, the album just... I, I don't really think there's a weak track on there, so... We could go no. through all of them, but <laughs> Let, let's not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's, oh, yeah, as well, which the lyrics in, oh, yeah, brilliant. Oh, yeah, she was taking me over. Oh, yeah, it was the start of the summer. And it's a proper start of the summer track. It's this triumphant holiday track almost. And I think that's probably the first thing I heard from Ash, because I think it was on one of the Shine albums. And I have a sort of a love-hate relationship with Oh, Yeah, where... I'm either really in the mood to hear it and I'm massively up when I hear it come on or that opening thing comes in and I'm just like, shut up, Tim, and skip or like change it yeah. or whatever. It's really weird. It's a very Marmite track for me, depending on my mood. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm just, a, just a big old fan. Simple as that. <laughs> so having released an amazing album and obviously gone out and toured it, I assume that their follow-up was equally successful. <laughs> you're, you're leading me down that road. <laughs> yeah, so so Ash kind of had that, not an implosion, but they were touring 1977 relentlessly almost. And then off the back of that, they wrote Nuclear Sounds. And it just didn't go down so well. And it's a bit harsh. I, I, I bought it. I was first mm-hmm. in the queue. And it's got, I think the single was Wild Surf, which was a good single but it's a little bit more gritty a little bit more intense i guess and it just didn't quite capture the way they normally write their music and it's definitely not up to par with a lot of their later albums and i think Mm -hmm. it's just because they didn't have time to sit down and properly record an album i suspect they were rushed into recording it as well i suspect the record company were like 1977 is amazing let's do another one and having had i mean you think they formed age 12 they're releasing their first album aged 18 or 19 you've got a decent chunk of music that you're happy with and all of a sudden you're touring and expected to write a load of new material for an album when you're basically kids and still don't know what the hell you're doing yeah and it's something that's carried on throughout their career so in a recent interview tim wheeler was asked because they've just released They've released an amazing album, actually. It's basically a a 25 years best of Mm -hmm. called Teenage Wildlife. Just put that on. It's got everything, literally everything. So in an interview for that, they talked to Tim Wheeler about what he would have done better. And I think he said he wanted to write more songs, which is bonkers because he writes so many. But he was saying that they just did so much touring and so much rushing around. He doesn't feel like he's, he's finished, which means they'll probably just carry on. Yeah, they seem perfectly happy to carry on. They're, they're what they've been going, like you say, twenty five odd years, and there's not really been much in the way of changes in that lineup. They they brought in Charlotte, their guitarist, early on, so she came in just after they'd recorded that first album, and apparently her first gig was V Festival in front of forty thousand people, which has got to be slightly intimidating. Yeah, I, I read that they were. I can't remember who they were on tour with, but I think they toured with. A big American band and mm. they just felt like they didn't have enough oomph and they watched them on stage and realized that actually they needed more just more noise to help them mm. out with the with the sound so they brought her in and it's an interesting one they 
in an interview they said that she almost saved them in a way because she just kept them going through that really difficult period. Mm-hmm. They got rid of her a few years later. It sounds like from the interviews that I read that she sort of wanted to go off in a very different musical direction to what they wanted to do, where they love all the kind of Americana sounds. She was more wanted to do quieter, more folksy stuff. And so it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. And she's, yeah, I mean, she's a super accomplished musician in her own right. And yeah, it's one where I think they've, they've, they've met at a good time. She kind of almost yeah. held them together and then they just cracked on and um, they, they cracked on with Free All Angels, which uh, is a decent is a, album. Is, 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 yeah, it's a great album. This is one that I took traveling yeah. when I went backpacking. This was constantly on my playlist. Burn Baby Burn, obviously, is the, the classic, classic song off the back that's of it. That's such a tune. Such a tune. That's probably my favorite Ash track of all time. I used to have that as my alarm clock. I'm guessing 2007, 2008. And I had this weird moment one morning where I woke up because it was going off and hit off on my alarm. Yeah. And it turned off there and carried on playing because my digital radio kicked in at the same time and Ash's Burn Baby Burn was playing on there perfectly synced up to my alarm clock and it freaked me the fuck out for about 30 seconds. I'm pretty sure that was the first ever track played on Six Music as well. I know it was an Ash Wouldn't track, surprise me. Um, but I think Six Music said so they they wanted to have a an opening song for their first ever piece of airplay, and they chose right. that. And um, yeah, abs- it, it's one of the it's there's probably their best song. I would have thought. Oh, that guitar riff at the start, it's just fantastic. It just drives in really hard and you, you're already jumping up and down when it yeah, kicks off. Yeah, the bass as well, it just kind of, it's got this almost like, uh, it's almost like an engine. It just kind of just rumbles through the whole thing and just says, right, kick the door down, yeah. take it off its hinges, we're coming in. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so classic. good, so good. I do have issues with one track off Free All Angels, which is Whining Shite or Shining Light as it's listed on the album. I think it's rubbish. Everyone And yeah. I do think it's one of their worst tracks. Or it's it's a bad track that's been overplayed massively, and I think if it hadn't been so overplayed, maybe I wouldn't have such an issue with it. But I just think it's boring and slow and a bit whiny. They've got a lot more to offer and somehow the radio station just latched onto that as that's the track they wanted to to play from ash and i guess because it's slightly slower it's a bit more anthemic it's kind of competes with your embraces and your cold plays a bit more but it's not yeah, really i guess so it's not really ash to me no i i hate being down on anyone that we talk about in this podcast so i want to bring it back up shark on this album is bloody brilliant yeah yeah, and they've they've got a couple of little standouts. Shark is, is is one of the good ones, but yeah, they kind of got to they released this album, and then they said that's it, we're not doing any more albums, and they wanted to do singles. So Tim Wheeler basically said, "We're we're pretty much done." Mm-hmm. Actually, wait, was it was it that one, or was it they, or did they do Meltdown and Twilight of the Innocence? So they did a couple more albums, and then they basically said, "We're not selling albums like we should do," and. Um, Oh my god, yeah, Meltdown. That's an album which I've not even thought about, but I love it, actually. I've just looked at the track listing. It's really good. Was it between Nuclear Sound and Free All Angels that they released The Life Less Ordinary, which was soundtrack for, or it was on that film soundtrack, but it was released as a single. I don't think it was ever on an album. That's an absolute belter as well. Yeah, that was Ewan McGregor, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Was that the film? Yep. I think it was Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz, from what I remember. That's right. And yeah, it's never it's never been on an album. In fact, let me just check. Ah, 
There we go. So I wondered if it was going to be on their 25 Years, the Teenage Wildlife album. Mm-hmm. It's the opening track. Right. So after all those years of it not being on an album, they said it's our 25-year whack it straight on the front. It's on Intergalactic Sonic 7s as well, which was their, I think, first 10 years best of album. It was, yeah, that was their kind of weird rarities, B-sides, random kind of... So I think they put... It was a best of, and then they threw in all sorts of other random kind of it's just a a big mix of demos and everything so it's got some well-known tracks and some some weird stuff but yeah i need somebody on there check that one out love it i think that was the b-side to goldfinger Mm -hmm. and it's got all sorts of strings and stuff but that's worth a listen you started to mention that they moved away from albums ash a to z you aware of that as a project only on my Spotify. Okay. I have no idea what that is. So A to Z was released as they decided to do a subscription, year-long subscription, where every two weeks they'd release some new music and you subscribed to it and you would get sent that music because it was in that weird period where album sales were sort of really falling off but Spotify didn't really exist yet. And so Tim Wheeler decided this would be a really great way to get music out. Apparently it... it almost caused them to burn out a bit because they were constantly in a state of trying to create and record new music. But it's sort of an interesting concept that was ahead of its time. Yeah, I I like that. And you're right, I don't think... They probably didn't have the distribution to make that really work, but you could probably see them doing that now and saying, actually, that is a genuine way of getting music out to people. It would work now. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot more looseness around albums. So obviously albums still exist as a thing, but more bands are willing to drop like an EP or drop singles when they're ready to drop them or if they've just got something they want to release. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of bands release an album song by song every couple of days Mm -hmm. and you see the album kind of grow and grow and grow and track listing. It's quite cool. Yeah, yeah. It's really frustrating though because Doves have been doing that at the moment. They've been dropping their singles and I'm like, I just want to hear the album. I just just want to hear the whole thing. Exactly. While we're on albums, I'll finish on the album from. Mm -hmm. um, I have to mention Cablamo which was their kind of comeback album. Most people will have not known it came out, obviously because the the scene, the indie scene vanished a long time ago. They released this in 2015 and you may not have come across it. If you like 1977 from Ash, please do me a favour and listen to the first, first four tracks on that. <laughs> Maybe the first three. Go and listen to it because it's got the same energy, the same kind of style, really interesting songwriting, and I put that back on and it was kind of transported to, oh my goodness, this is like proper Ash again. This is They're really okay. back in the house. I can't say I have listened to it, but I will go and listen to it after this, which I always say and then sometimes do. <laughs> do it. Okay, even the first track, which is called Cocoon, pop that on. Yep. And yep. it's just got that energy that they had when they were teenagers and it's it's still there. So from that perspective, what did Ash bring you into musically because i'm gonna guess that they were a fairly big influence on your loud guitarsy band type love huge um i guess them uh more ash um they were i think the interesting part for them was they had the harmonies and they weren't just straight noise Mm -hmm. punk was where i really got interested but they just spread that out a bit and i don't know if through them i started enjoying music more like like the beach boys or whether it was that they were kind of just creating that music and I'd heard it elsewhere. But yeah, I 
they haven't led me on to any other bands. Okay. They're, they're not a kind of. I mean, th- they're not like your your Radiohead who just creates this new world of music. They're they're pretty simple. There's nothing sonically mind blowing about Ash, which is a little bit why I haven't really brought them up before now because right. they're pretty simple. They just create really good pop rock music. They're they're a really fun band, and I almost think that the next bit that we're going to talk about is them their biggest strength. Their live shows are fantastic. You've seen them live, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, you were going to festivals between like ninety seven and two thousand and five, so you're going to have seen them live. Yeah, and this is their strength. They they play every every festival. They seem to appear. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they even appear in like tents when you kind of unex- you're not expecting them and they're just playing again. Yeah. I think they just turn up at festivals with their gear and are like, hi, can we come in yeah, and play? And everyone's just saying, yeah, p- please come in. And they've just got this, the, the energy that you hear in the records just transports to to the the, yeah. the festival experience or the, or the gig. You were at Glastonbury 97, right? Did you see them there? No, I only got in um, for, for one day. So I was only there for okay. the um, for the radio one. I think they played the Friday night on the on the other stage. They played two sets that weekend. Apparently, having done their set on the other stage on Friday night, they were still hanging around getting drunk at the festival because if you play Glastonbury, I assume you're... Unless you have commitment somewhere else, you're going to stick around and enjoy the festival. It's one of those festivals. Steve Winwood was apparently forced to pull out on the Sunday night pyramid stage headline set because he couldn't get onto the site because it was so heavily so muddy. muddy they just, they just <laughs> yeah, couldn't get yeah. them and their gear on and so ash were asked to come on and play and so they played the headline set on the sunday night in the pyramid stage because they were there and they had their gear apparently they were shit-faced mid-afternoon when they were asked to sober up to play i didn't know that i was i was only there well i went on the saturday and i was there for radiohead and yeah can confirm absolute mud bath to the point mm-hmm. where there was like rivers of mud flowing downhill there were tents under like probably about a meter deep in mud yeah. it was i've never seen anything like it absolutely crazy yeah i have been fortunate never to have that level of ridiculous crazy wet festivalness uh i think end of the road a couple of years ago was the worst i've ever had consistent rain over a couple of days or in fact it was that anarch tangent the same summer were both mud fests and yeah Glastonbury when it's a mud fest must be miserable you and I went in 2003 and it it didn't rain at all we got brilliant wonderful sunshine for the majority of the time that we were because we were there from the Tuesday to the Sunday night I think on the Friday we were stewarding on one of the gates mid-morning to lunchtime so I think we finished about two and as the first notes were played on the main stage that day the rain started and it wasn't that heavy it was like a medium drizzle and by the time we finished stewarding and headed into the into the festival to get some food it was already like two inch deep mud which then dried up again when the sun came out i think didn't we see athlete were they the first band we saw athlete brought out the sun yeah that's right i remember that no that was cool played vehicles and animals and the sun broke and it was that's right yeah yeah so anyway ash a festival band um yes if you yeah. I saw them recently. They played, oh, yeah. yeah, when I was at Trees, 2000 Trees. I don't know if you know it. Um, it's one of those more, the heavier end of rock. So it's quite emo. It's got some metal, but a lot of like good alt rock stuff as well. 
an ash played and it was myself and max and a couple other friends who were there as well all just like belting out ash classics towards the back of this main part of the crowd and there's all these kids that are like 19 20 years old just looking really confused as to how we know all the lyrics for this band that they've just discovered yeah i i can understand that although yeah i guess that does put us squarely into the older category but i don't care yep me neither and they still sounded great they still had loads of fun energy they weren't just doing by numbers hits it was it was a belting set the other thing that i love about them live is that they have no shame or concern about playing all the old hits as well they just love it and they've said it it makes them feel like teenagers when they start playing the the songs and people sing along yeah i wish more bands did that in a way oh it's the the classic of a band playing everything from their new album which they released two days ago and you're like come on give yeah. us some of the hits especially i want to sing along something Especially at a festival. If yeah. you're at a gig, fair enough. Crack on with some new stuff. But festival, you've got to play the hits. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of... I think when you've got that kind of catalogue of songs that you can dip into, then you can just have a, have a huge load of fun with it. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm... I love Ash. I, they're not they're not the most inventive band. They're never going to win all sorts of awards for their incredible, clever songwriting. But they're a fantastic band to have in your CD collection. CD collection? Who has that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> we still have them in our CD collection. My MP3 collection. Yeah, no one has those anymore either. No. Scream everything now. True. Well, always fun to chat Ash because they are wonderful and fun. And there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I'm 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 now glad that I decided to talk about them because I was thinking, are they are they really up to kind of a, a mention on I might be wrong? And it's like, yeah, totally, they should be. Even just for 1977, and there's other great stuff as well, but that album alone is just just a fantastic, great rock album in the in a sea of Britpop other boring stuff. I mean, there's some great Britpop, don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of dross out there at the time. Yeah, so it's uh, it holds a special place in my heart and probably many other people's too. Absolutely. Well, thanks for bringing them along. I have enjoyed chatting about them. Yeah. So, as always, you can find us at I Might Be Wrong UK on Twitter, Instagram, which I probably should update at some point, uh, on Facebook. Come and have a chat. Let us know what you think. We always enjoy hearing more, particularly from some of our listeners like Ed, who have all sorts of interesting facts that they add to the comments on the posts. So cheers, Ed. Always appreciated. Cool. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.